Well, the law of God's people said, wow, I need a moment just to compose myself. I feel like the old miner who came in from the gold fields to the camp meeting in California town. And they were having a spell and they were singing like we've heard tonight. The glory of God was falling. And all that old miner could say to somebody standing next to him is, Sir, would you hold my mule while I have a spell? (laughs) I have had the privilege of being in somewhere between 500 and 600 revivals. And I tell you that simply as a moment of perspective. I've been in smaller churches, much smaller, and larger churches. But I can tell you I had never been more blessed by the music than I have this week and tonight. Give the Lord a hand for all of our musicians and all of our singers. Choir, the David, uh, praise team, Thomas. You, this guy, has, he, he was telling me, Thomas was, that he had dreams to be an opera singer. And that is a worthy dream. Ah, but God gave you a far higher blessing. God called you to be a, a soul winner in the kingdom of heaven through your music and through your life. My, what a baritone. Golly, I... I, I just, you know, you never know it by looking at you. I just, uh, uh, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> you look like a baritone. <laughs> I love you, brother. I do. You're a hoot. Years ago, I had the privilege of being in revival at Calvary Baptist Church in Russellville, Alabama. Just, I believe it's on Highway 43 out of Florence. Muscle Shoals, Tuscumbia. And they had a young man back in those days, probably in your late 20s, maybe early 30s, who was still singing with the quartet, J. Parrick. And I remember that night thinking, Lord in mercy, I've never heard a tenor like this in all of my life. Brother, thank you. For blessing my heart. And if you've never heard his father sing, Johnny, uh, he is an incredible singer. In fact, uh, Jay gave me a CD and he said, my dad's even better than I am. And I thought, this couldn't be. And his dad is incredibly gifted and I thank you, brother. What a blessing tonight has been. John, thank you for inviting me to be with my brother, to be with Sister Lou, to be with you to have this music this week has been an incredible blessing. And if nobody goes away blessed, I'm going to go away and I'm going to go home. And Libby's going to say, what has happened to you? I said, I've been in the presence of the Lord and the glory of heaven has fallen. And I have just had, I've been blessed beyond measure. I've never done this before. I sat down there on the front row and I got me a sermon. (laughs) And I want to preach a sermon before the sermon. Can I do that? (laughs) 
I don't know, but I just was just blessed and I got to thinking what God wants for this church. It's the same thing God wants for me and the same thing God wants for you individually. And John, I think somewhere along the line, if I can find a good verse for this, this will preach. Yeah. What's God want for us? What would revival look like? But he wants us to love Jesus. Love him and be careful that we avoid what happened at Ephesus. They became so accustomed to their walk with the Lord, they lost their first love. Several years ago, it was Valentine's Day coming up soon. I was in revival at Killing Baptist Church, First Baptist Killing. And I've been back there again recently. But I was talking with one of my dear friends who used to be a deacon where, in the church where I served about I needed to go buy Sweet Libby a Valentine gift, a box of candy perhaps or something. He said, true story, he said, Jackie, have I got good news for you. Last year at the after Valentine's Day, I went to Walgreens and they had a sale on all of their candy. And I bought some great big beautiful red boxes, got the frill around them, and they've been in my freezer for a year. I'll give you one. <laughs> Libby will be blessed. <laughs> Valentine's Day came, and I was so proud. I gave Libby this big, beautiful box of chocolate candy, red with frill around it, and, and it was just gorgeous. And I'll never forget the look on her face when she opened it up, and, and there was a long pause. And she looked perplexed. And she said, why is this chocolate white? <laughs> Men, may I warn you, frozen chocolate turns white. It was not a pretty Valentine's Day. <laughs> I said that because he wants us to lavish him with our love and not count the cost because he didn't count the cost and Revival is a brand new love affair with the Lamb of God. And, and I want to tell you, there's nothing that will substitute for a passionate, fiery love for the King of glory. May, may our church burn with a passion for Jesus. What does God want for us? What does revival look like? Well, God wants us to love Jesus. He wants us to look like Jesus. I've got uh, 10 grandchildren, several of them, yeah, kind of favor for me a little bit. And by the way, I, I love that little sign in Cracker Barrel. I think Cracker Barrel's got it right, Jay, when it says that grandchildren are our rewards for not killing our children. <laughs> I think that's true. And occasionally somebody will say we had a little grandson born, Roger, and his little face is round and he's a little chubby. And, and uh, somebody said, Pastor, he looks just like you. <laughs> I was so flattered and complimented, and, and I got to thinking about what revival is. It's when we look more like Jesus. You see, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, gentleness, meekness, all these things really are attributes that Jesus manifested, and he wants us to manifest those so that the world can see Jesus in us. 
He wants us to love. This is all introduction. He wants us to love Jesus. He wants us to look more like Jesus. He wants us to live more for Jesus. Live for him. Just a few more days to sing God's praise. And I want my life to count for the honor and the glory of our Lord. And I want to live for him in such a way that will bring him honor and glory. Revival is a brand new commitment to live for Jesus. You see, you're living for something. Something drives you. Something moves you. Something motivates you. Something stirs you. I pray it'll be a fresh love affair with Jesus. Revival causes us to love him more, look like him more, live for him more, and long for him more. (laughs) Even so, said John on the Isle of Patmos, come, Lord Jesus. And (laughs) if we'd live every day looking for him to come, what a difference it would make. So one one of these days, I'm going to get me a, I'm going to develop that. I'm going to find me a good text and go with it. And I think that'll, that'll preach. But that's not what I wanted to share with you tonight. I want to share with you for just a few moments what may be to some to seem to be an unusual text. It's found in Galatians chapter 6, and let me invite you to look there with me for a moment. Galatians chapter 6, one of those sayings of our Lord that is so very precious is that invitation. The Bible's full of invitations. And one of them from the lips of our Lord is incredibly precious. When Jesus said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what, church? Rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I got to thinking about that passage, and and then the Lord reminded me of this wonderful passage in Galatians where Paul was writing to a beloved church about how they could manifest the love of Christ, the, 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 the care of Christ for precious souls. In fact, the Bible says of Jesus that he has come to bind up the brokenhearted. And a part of revival is when we develop and embrace and manifest the same compassion, the same concern, the same spiritual sensitivity to the burdens of others that Jesus had. In fact, on one occasion, Jesus looked over the crowd in Matthew 9, and when he saw the multitudes, Matthew said Jesus was moved with compassion on them. And the, the Greek implies That Jesus wept over those crowds. And that's when he said to the disciples, Pray that the Lord of the harvest will send forth laborers, for the harvest is plenteous and the laborers are few. I want to talk to you tonight for just a few moments about what to do with a heavy burden. Thomas, the choir, the song y'all sang tonight could have been written for this sermon Oh, this sermon could have been written for that song. That last song, Jay, you did. 
could have been written for this sermon or this sermon for that song. And tonight, I suspect, if you're like me, there may be something about what God wants to do through me that might be fresh and might be new to some of us. Listen to the words of Paul in Galatians 6. By the way, I have come to love your church. I tell you what, you are, the, you are so gracious and you are so kind and you are so affirming. I know why you come here. And I know why you serve here and why you worship here. You are blessed and don't take that for granted. I've been in all kinds of churches and they ain't all like this. Not all of them are sweet spirited. I, I could tell you some stories and you'd think I was making them up. I, I want to tell you this is a sweet church. I'm reminded of what my friend Junior Hill used to tell. If you've had him here, you, he may have already told this story and just act like you've never heard it. It's uh, a story about an old boy who was stranded on a desert island. He'd been there a long time, and, and he was so glad when the rescuers came and found him, and they were, gonna, they were preparing to take him home. He'd been gone a long time. And one of the rescuers said to this man, we're so glad we found you. We're so glad that we have the opportunity to take you home. But, and you've been here a long time. He said, that's right, I've been here a long time. And the rescuer said, well, explain something. There are three buildings on this island, and, and, and why would you need three buildings? And he said, oh, that's easy. Uh, you see, I can explain that because that building over there, that's the building. That's where I live. That's my home. So that building over there, that's where I worship. That's where I go to church. That third building is where I used to go to church before I got mad and moved my membership. <laughs> I know why you come here, you're blessed, and I don't blame you. I've been thinking about moving my membership as well. But, uh, Galatians chapter 6, brethren, Paul had a pastor's heart. He loved the people of Galatia. And this was a, an injunction of a pastor's heart to his people. Brethren, if... A man be overtaken in a fault. And there's a picture here of someone who has been run down from behind by a wild animal. They have been overcome. They've been overtaken. If a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual. Ye which are spiritual. You know, it amazes me the things that Jesus describes as epitomizing being spiritual. And it's not necessarily all the things we might think. People can have a good time and hoop and holler and jump the pews. Nothing wrong with all that. But folks, somebody once said wisely, it's not how loud you holler, it's how straight you walk when you hit the ground. It's how much like Jesus you are in day-to-day living. Ye which are spiritual, restore. It's a picture of a heavenly osteopath, a doctor whose business it is to put back broken bones and broken limbs. Ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. That could be you. That could be you that had a lapse of moral judgment. That could be you that failed to turn 
an eye away from sin. That could be you that, that fell into the slime pit of Satan's temptations and lies. Lest thou also be tempted. And then in verse 2 he says, Bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. You mean, Paul, that for me to help bear the burdens of others who are struggling through life is as important as being in Sunday school? Well, you bet it is. Is as important as me worshiping? Well, you bet it is. It's a part, an expression of how we worship. It's as important as most of the things that we do because in so doing, we fulfill the law of Christ. Now look at verse 3. For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. If you don't care about people, if I don't care about people, if I'm not moved with compassion, if I'm not willing to invest my life in others and reach out to those that are hurting, I'm not nearly as spiritual as I may think I am. But let every man prove his own work, live this out in his own life, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. Now, a paraphrase of that verse is, listen, why don't you discover for yourself what this verse means? Why don't you find somebody that's hurting and somebody that your life can make an impact on, somebody you can put your arm around, somebody you can, can pray for, and somebody you can encourage in this whole walk of life, and you'll begin to experience the blessing of the Lord that you may have missed before. And then he said in verse 5, for every man shall bear his own burden. Now, there's an interesting insight here. The first term for burden is a heavy burden. The second term is a term used for a pack that will fit on a man's back. And so he's saying here that there are all types of burdens in life, and he tells us what he wants to do with them. And I want to share with you three things tonight very quickly about what to do with a heavy burden. Number one. There are some burdens that God intends for us in life to shoulder. For every man must bear his own burden. You may, see, you may think this sounds strange, but revival is not only casting our burden upon the Lord, it is also embracing and volunteering to bear a burden that somewhere along the line we may have laid down. In Pilgrim's Progress, again, we used the illustration last night, Pilgrim is journeying through life, and he falls into a ditch because he's carrying a heavy burden. An evangelist comes along, and Pilgrim wants the burden lifted from his back, and Pilgrim says, bear your burden, or when you get to the city, the burden will fall from thy back. One of these days, all burdens will be laid down, we're going to lay our burdens down, there won't be any but until then, Lord, what am I to do with life's heavy burdens? Well, first of all, there are some that we need to shoulder, embrace, get under, carry, because they are absolutely necessary. Well, Brother Jackie, what could that possibly be? Well, I want to suggest to you there's the burden over the state of our world. That's called a burden for revival. The Old Testament prophet said the whole land is barren because no man layeth it to heart. When you look at America and the greatness of our country and so many things about this wonderful land of ours, well, we've lost our moral compass and we've lost our sensitivity to spiritual things and, and we've embraced things that we used to be embarrassed to even talk about. Something has happened in America, but folks, nothing will fix America more 
been an old time, heaven sent, Holy Ghost revival. There's not a person in the Democratic Party or the Republican Party or the Independents or whoever you're for, doesn't matter. Listen, Jesus is the only one who can transform our country into what it ought to be. And if my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves, there needs to be a brokenness. That's a part of the burden, brokenness. How long has it been since we wept our way to God and said, Oh God, we're desperate, we're nothing, we're doomed without an old time heaven sent revival from God. What do you do with a heavy burden? You shoulder a heavy burden, you get under it, you embrace it, and it's a burden for the state of our world. I'm of the conviction it would be all right if regularly we found our place in the altar on Sunday morning or Sunday night simply praying, weeping our way to God for old-time heaven-sent revival. We need a burden for the state of our world. We need a burden over the sin in our own hearts. All the sin in our world, certainly, and the sin that's rampant, certainly, but In Psalm 139, the psalmist, which is a long prayer, the whole 139th Psalm, and I've got a sermon that I entitled, Heaven's Search Warrant. And the psalmist says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there's any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Jesus said, be careful to the Pharisees that you don't notice the splinter in your neighbor's eye when there's a beam in our own eye. You see, friends, revival is a holy sensitivity to sin that is heightened to the point to where we may find ourselves needing to confess and repent of things that we were taking for granted. What are we to do with life's heavy burden? Some are to be shouldered, the burden over the state of our world, the burden over the sin in our heart, sins of omission, things that we're not doing we ought to be doing. Sins of commission, things that we're doing we hadn't gotten in business doing. And then sins of disposition, attitudes we have we ought not have. And most people and most Baptist churches don't need to come to the altar because they're cussing, smoking, drinking, or chewing, or running around with people who do. That's not really why we need revival, mostly. But sometimes we've got a mean, critical, carnal spirit that's condescending and bitter. Sometimes we find ourselves looking like more like the world than, than more like the Lord Jesus. We need to simply say, Lord, give us a burden over the sin in our own heart. Isaiah and Isaiah 6, 5, that great worship experience, the greatest portrait of worship in the Old Testament. When Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up, King Uzziah, Isaiah's cousin, had died. I remember when... John F. Kennedy was shot. And I remember in the seventh grade that the secretary came to our math class, called the teacher to the door, and told him that our president had just been shot. Now I was a 13-year-old boy in the seventh grade, and I remember the feeling of, of sorrow and loss when our president died. In Israel, when the king died, it was even worse than that because he was seen as one that represented God on the throne. And in the midst of that, Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up. And when Isaiah, the prophet, saw the glory of our God on the throne, he said, Woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. 
You see, the Lord wants us to shoulder some burdens, the burden over the state of our world, the burden over the sin in our own heart, the burden over souls, the burden over souls. The harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he'll send forth laborers. Why have baptisms been declining in the Southern Baptist Convention for the last couple of decades or more, really since the 1950s? Why are so many of our churches declining? It's because I believe we've become very comfortable with our fellowship and our crowd and our surroundings that we have forgotten that God put us here as light in a dark world and salt in a corrupt world to reach people for Jesus. And folks, the unfinished business of the church is as long as there's a lost boy or girl, a lost man or woman, a lost soul in Oxford, Alabama, we've got a role to fill in bearing burdens for lost souls. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bear bringing his sheaves with him. You know what that is? You get a burden for your husband. You get a burden for your children. You get a burden for your wife. You get a burden for your neighbor. And you weep your way to God. And there's something about God responding to our tears that will bring conviction to those that we're praying for. What are we to do with the heavy burden? Some burdens ought to be shouldered. And maybe tonight we ought to find our way to an altar and say, God, burden me. I've been far too comfortable and far too casual and Far too unmoved. Number two. What does the Lord want us to do with our heavy burdens? Some burdens are to be shouldered. Some are to be shared. Bear ye one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. Brother Jackie, what are you talking about? The sorrows of life. We ought to share them. I... Often I have the opportunity and the privilege, Brother Roger, of, of preaching to pastors. And, and I've had the opportunity to speak at, uh, at America Seminary on several occasions to students when they lived in Memphis. And I almost always will say to young pastors, fellows, remember this. This, this, this won't help your ego, but it'll help your ministry. People will not long remember what you preached. But they'll never forget that you were there when their mother died. Or their child was in the hospital. Or they were going through a crisis. And you see, sometimes the best way to build fellowship and intimacy in the life of a church is learn to bear one another's burdens. Jesus wept. Because Mary and Martha's hearts were broken over the passing of Lazarus. Jesus entered into their sorrow. And we're seldom more like Jesus than when we weep with those who weep. And laugh with those who laugh. And walk with those who mourn. Burdens are meant to be shared. The sorrows of life, the struggles of life. People are going to stumble People in your church have stumbled. There's not a church anywhere, anywhere that's been a church very long that hasn't had somebody stumble. 
That's not the time to write them off. That's not the time to forget them. They never need the ministry of the church more than when they've messed up. And in our churches of people who are struggling with addiction, drug addiction, and alcohol addiction, and addiction to pornography, and, and I've seen all of the above and so much more, and the truth is, People don't come here because they're right. We come here to get right. We don't come here to strut our righteousness. We come here to seek God's grace. The sorrows of life, the struggles of life, and the sicknesses of life. Did you notice what James said? If anybody's sick among you, and they, they've, I mean, they're, they're, the implication is they're really sick. And they're, they're scared. Let them call for the elders. Now, I know in some Baptist church, that'll spook you mules. If you're not in the country, you ain't got a clue what I just now said. Call for the elders and let them anoint him or her with oil. Praying over that oil was, was, first of all, it was medicinal on occasions, but it was always a picture of the Holy Spirit. It was a symbol. It wasn't, it wasn't anything mystical or hocus pocus. It was a symbol of the power of God. Right. I'll tell you this real quickly. Mount Pleasant Baptist Church, Lacey Spring, Alabama, late in our church had cancer, and it was getting really bad. And she called me one night. She was only 36 years old. And she called me one night and said, Brother Jackie, would you come over and talk to Billy and me for a moment? And I said, sure. And the next day I went or whatever day we arranged for me to come. And she said, Pastor, I just want to ask you, would you be willing to anoint me with oil at church and ask the folks to pray over me? I ain't never done that before. I ain't never seen it done. I was nervous. I'm serious. I went home. You know what the devil whispered in my ear? What will your preacher buddies think about you? Oh. Then I got along with Jesus a little while. And I didn't care what my preacher brothers thought about me. And I said, you come on. And on a Sunday night, I told the church after church, we're not going to stay long. I lied. I didn't know what was about to happen. And I said, we're going to pray for this precious lady. whose name is Doris. And we put her in a chair down here at the front. And by her side was her husband and her son and her daddy. And about 25 or 30 men as they all knelt and put their hands on each other's shoulders. And her husband, Billy, put his hand on her shoulder. And on the other side was her mama and her beautiful little red-headed daughter and her sister and her grandmother and 25, 30, 40 ladies. And I had a, a vial, a bottle of olive oil, and I thought, where you put it? I ain't never done it before. <laughs> I took that olive oil and I placed it on her forehead. And I put my hand on her head and I began to pray. Folks, I don't know how to tell you this. That prayer meeting lasted two hours. 
And during that prayer meeting, people got right with each other. In that prayer meeting, people got closer to Jesus. In that prayer meeting, the power of God fell upon that church. We didn't have any idea what God was going to do. We went home, and the next day she went to the hospital. I went to the room and had prayer with them before they rolled her to surgery. In about 45 minutes or less, her surgeon came back, and he came back earlier than we thought. And he said, folks, I don't know how to explain this to you. We saw a tumor on the x-ray last week. We did another x-ray this morning, and it was there. And we went into surgery. We did one more, and the tumor was gone. We didn't even have to do surgery. Give the Lord a hand, will you? Thank you, Jesus. Listen. Now, what am I saying to you? God doesn't heal everybody that's sick all the time. But every once in a while, just to show up and show us that he's God and help us to bear one another's burdens, he'll do something that only God gets the glory for. What do you do with life's heavy burdens? Some are to be shouldered. Some are to be shared. Finally, some burdens are to be shifted. Casting all your cares upon him. It's a fishing term. Imagine that. Simon Peter using a fishing term. Casting all your cares upon him because he cares for you. Three simple thoughts and we're done. You need to know that whatever's going on in your life, God cares. He cares about your children. He cares about your marriage. He cares about that job that's hard for you to go to. He cares about your finances. He cares about your health. He cares. He cares about your fears. He cares about your struggles. You can cast all your care upon him because he cares. You can cast all your care. You can shift your burdens to the one whose shoulders are a lot bigger than ours because he's invited you to bring him your heavy burden. He's asked you to bring it. <laughs> Jesus, you're awful busy. You got blind people to see and dead people to raise and, and lame people to heal. Ah, oh, but I've always got time for you. He cares. And tonight, it may be the Spirit of God speaking to you. Maybe you've been bowed low with a burden, concern, and a hurt, and pain that is unspeakable. Cast your care upon the Lord, for He cares for you. We need to know this, and with this I'm done. In Psalm 34. You can cast all your care upon Jesus because he will respond to your call. You can call an ambulance and they'll come. You can call the fire department and they'll come. The police, they'll come if you need people to help you and I've had to do that. But I'll tell you, I got good news. The first one there will be Jesus. The first responder will be the one who bore Hell's flames in our place who, who left heaven to come to this whole world to die in our place. He's heaven's first responder. In Psalm 34, the righteous cry, and the Lord heareth and delivereth them out of all of their troubles. 
Would you let me share this with you? And we're done. I've, uh, I've been struggling with a heavy burden for a few days. My oldest son, who lives in Texas, loves Jesus, gifted singer. We've done a lot of revivals together. He's had back trouble for a long, long time. And he said, Daddy, the doctor told me last week that I have a tumor at the base of my spine. And, Daddy, it's growing rapidly. And as I prayed, I said, oh, dear God, dear God, I'm worried. I'm afraid. I have a concern. And the Lord reminded me of what I was going to preach tonight. Cast all you care upon me, for I care about you. I've put it in the hands of the great physician. What will you do tonight with your heavy burden? Would you bow with me, please? In a moment when we stand and sing, your pastor and a couple of other people will be here at the front available to pray with you about anything that may be going on in your life, any burden, any hurt, any struggle, any concern. You just know that they care, we care, and Jesus cares. Tonight when we stand and sing the hymn of invitation, some may need to come and say, Oh God, I've not had a burden over revival. I've not had a burden over souls, and I've not had a burden over sin. Give me a burden, God. Make, my, make, make me intentionally, intensely compassionate for the same things that Jesus was burdened about. Maybe when we stand and sing and they're in the hymn of invitation, there may be somebody here that you know is going through a struggle. You just may want to slip out of where you'll be standing and slip over and put your arm around a dear brother or sister right where they are. And pray for them and just let them know I'm praying for you. Lord, help us tonight to bear the burdens that you want us to bear over souls and the state of our world and the sin in our heart. Help us to share our sorrows, our struggles, and our sicknesses with God's people. And help us, Lord, to shift our burdens to the mighty shoulders of sweet Jesus, our burden bearer. And thank you when the righteous cry. You hear their cry and you come. Lord, tonight we bless you because you bind up the brokenhearted and you set the captive free. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with us, please? Your pastor and others are here at the front. This is a time of getting this transparent before God. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what you're struggling with. I don't know. Your pastor's here to pray with you. You've got folks here at the front to pray with you. You may just need to come and do business with God. 
but you don't have to carry your heavy burden alone. If you hadn't had a burden of any kind, you may want to say, God, break my heart over souls, over the state of our world, and over sin. What does he want you to do with your heavy burden? Let's sing it together.